It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Jimmy Fallon. I'm Rachel Campos Duffy. I'm Will Kane, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, October 11th, 2022. I'm Eben Brown. Three weeks, more riots, more deaths, and more soldiers joining the protesters in Iran, where women are refusing to keep heads and bodies covered, and it is not ending. Because Iranians are still in the streets. We still have young girls and, and young boys, I mean, talking 10 years old, 12 years old, going out with literally empty hands to fight against you know, automatic weapons. This is the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. For weeks now, Iranians from every city and farm town in the nation have taken to streets and parks, demonstrating against the rule of the Ayatollah, the leader of the Islamist government in Iran, These rounds of unrest were sparked by the regime's secret police killing a young woman who dared to go without her head covered. We've seen these kinds of protests before, but unlike the previous incarnations, the Iranian regime is having trouble denying it or stopping it. Sometimes its own soldiers are refusing to crack down, and those who hope for change in Iran say it feels different this time, though they know that commentary has been used before. It may sound cheeky or cute to say, but this is one of the slogans we're hearing on the streets of Iran is, don't call this a protest anymore. This is a revolution. Cameron Kansarinya is the policy director at Mufti, or the National Union for Democracy in Iran. They've been keeping close contact with people in the country, and they're hoping the rest of the world is watching and not forgetting this time. And that's one of the chants we're hearing from the streets um, of Iran, and and it, it does feel different. And I think that's for a few reasons. Part of it, uh, and that's the difference between reform and fundamental change of system, uh, or if you, you want to use the word that gets a bad rap uh, in this town sometimes, regime change. Um, but what we're talking about is not regime change like, like we saw in Iraq or Afghanistan. We're talking about the Iranian people wanting to change the regime themselves. And yeah, they want some help from the outside world, and we can talk about that. But this is a movement that they themselves are leading. Uh, and so when this started uh, three or four months ago, uh, pardon me, three or four weeks ago, um, we were actually in Washington, our organization, on the sidelines of, of the UN General Assembly, uh, helping some victims of uh, the president of the, of the Islamic Republic file a lawsuit against him uh, for, uh, for human rights violations, for torture uh, here in the United States. And then we were just sort of overwhelmed by these events and the murder of Masa Amini, uh, a name that probably every one of your, your listeners now knows, probably everyone who's followed any sort of news knows now, um, was a spark that lit uh, the kindling or, or sort of the fire that was just beneath um, the surface in Iran, and, and it's exploded. And this has been a pretty regular pattern that we've seen. Um, you said we've had for the, basically every day that this regime has existed, and that's true. But uh, what's important to note is, is the, the time in between these protests. 
So at the very beginning of the revolution, uh, we had women coming out and protesting against the fundamentalist Islamic Sharia law that was being forced upon them. And then it was pretty quickly quashed. And you don't really see any any significant protest, public protest for for really decades. Then about halfway through the regime's history in, in the late 1990s, you see the first student protest. It takes about 20 years for you to see some significant protest. And then there's a pause for about 10 years. You see nothing until 2009. And then it becomes about every five years. Uh, and now it's every two years, recently become one year. Now we're seeing every few months. So the, the, the time between these protests is decreasing the uh, extent and the the uh, the size of the protest is growing, um, and the strata of society being covered by these protests is also growing. You see every aspect of society uh, in these protests, and and we've talked a lot about women being on the front lines of this, and, and that's absolutely right. But now joining them are students, joining them are farmers, joining them are pensioners, joining them are people from every province in Iran. Every single one of Iran's provinces has now experienced significant protests. Um, and I think that's why people on the streets and, and fair and honest analysts are saying that this is truly um, a revolutionary uh, atmosphere in Iran right now. It's, it's gone far beyond uh, your average protest. One of the regime's, um, uh, for a lack of better terms, strength has been their ability to crush these dissidents in the past uh, and to do it rather swiftly. And at times when protests have continued it's almost as if they've sort of allowed them to continue uh, strategically. They are not able to really stop this very well this time. I've seen videos, and of course, you know, things that come across social media. Um, I've seen videos of mobs of people attacking identified members of Iran's, I guess they call the morality police. They're essentially a secret police. They've identified them from some of the things that they wear on their bodies and and. They've just gone after them, and, and that's very bold and brazen, you know, of these of these protesters. Um, at what point does someone say, "Okay, tides really have turned here, and the regime is on its heels"? I, I think that's exactly right. In fact, part of the a, a stroke of bad luck, I think, that the regime caught at the very beginning of these uh, of these protests was, as I mentioned previously, that. Ibrahim Raisi, the Islamic Republic's president, was in New York. Uh, he was in New York for the UN General Assembly at the beginning of these protests. And I think that because of the fact that he was in New York in the middle of you know, the international press corps, uh, they could not uh, clamp down on these protests as they otherwise may have, as they have in the past. So we recall uh, you know, nearly three years ago now, in November of 2019, when a similar shock to the system, at that time an economic shock, uh, by the, the hike of, of uh, gas prices caused nationwide protests. And within roughly three days, they killed at least 1,500 people. Some estimates by, by scholars that, that we work with say that number could be like six or 7,000 people in the span of half a week. And because Raisi was in New York, because of the international pressure um, and spotlight from the media that was on this, they were not able to do that as quickly this time. And now as a result of that, uh, it's gotten out of control. It's gotten out of their hands. As you said, you now see people identifying members, even plainclothed members of the regime's security forces, um, preventing them from shooting people, prevent, you know, stealing, taking their weapons, preventing them from attacking protesters. In some instances, we've actually seen uh, uniformed members 
of the security forces joined the protests uh, and joined the protesters, uh, which that, that's a significant turning point, which we have to continue to, to, to follow. I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was a video I caught, I think, maybe yesterday or the day before. And again, all this stuff is just being blasted across social media, which I think is also helpful. We can talk about that in a moment. But that is also rather brave of those men in uniform. They're wearing the regime's uniform and they've turned around on their feet and they're now marching with the protesters. That's risky as well for them. It, it, I mean, that, that carries, it, it's no joke that, that they do that at a risk to their own lives. Uh, they could very easily be executed by the regime for such an action uh, because what we've seen uh, is a significant, uh, a significant wave of, uh, of calls by the Iranian people, by well-respected leaders um, in the Iranian and in, in the opposition or in the Iranian diaspora, calling on the armed forces uh, to stand with the people uh, and to side with them against the regime. And of course, um, as you know, the the Iranian armed forces under the Islamic Republic is, is much more complex than any regular country's armed force. It's not like here in the states where we just we have our army and our air force and our navy. There are uh, factions whose loyalties are split sometimes. It, yeah. it, exactly. And so, so you have the national army or the Artesh, and then you have the IRGC, uh, which is well known and is an FTO sanctioned terrorist organization. Uh, and you'll notice uh, that it does not even have the word Iran in its name. It is the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Correct. So it is dedicated to guarding the revolution. And so what many are calling for is for the traditional army, the, the national army, to take the side of the people and not allow the besiege, the IRGC, even even thugs that the regime is bringing in from other countries. We, we've right. had reports of security forces speaking Arabic, not speaking Farsi or Persian on the streets of Iran, indicating that they're coming, they're coming from other countries. And so what we have to continue to watch, that will really be a significant development, because if we look back to 1979, uh, it, it was only the day before that the Islamic Revolution uh, was, quote unquote, victorious, uh, that the imperial army uh, declared um, that it was not going to it was no longer going to defend uh, the previous government. And then the next day, uh, the regime, the Islamic Revolution succeeded. Uh, and so we're, we're starting to see some signs that this this is very similar in many ways to the 1978-1979 period when uh, the Shah's uh, government was toppled. We have been speaking with Cameron Consarinia. He is the policy director for the National Union for Democracy in Iran on the continuing revolutionary protests inside that country on the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. We'll have more with Cameron straight ahead. We get so little news out of Iran in terms of the everyday and what the average Iranian citizen may think or may feel even when there's no revolution going on. Um, do they know, does the average citizen know what is going on in the Middle East these days, that four Arab nations have made peace with Israel, that, uh, that, t that tides are turning, that, that people are sympathetic perhaps to the Palestinian cause, but not willing to simply bankroll them? Uh, and uh, do, they, do the Iranian people want to have a change as well in their foreign policy. Uh, I don't think this gets talked about enough. If we go back in time to after the regime change of, of removing Saddam Hussein, one of the very first statements the new Iraqi leadership said, we're not making peace with Israel. 20-something years later, we have Iraqis begging their own government, hey, get in on the Abraham Accords already, will you? Uh, so what... 
what does the average Iranian want? And not not just with Israel. I don't want to make it just about that, but with the West, with with the the Far East. You know, China, Japan, for for that matter. You know, what what do they want? You know, not only I think do the people of Iran follow these developments. To your point, they they want to be a part of them. Yeah. They they look first at the Middle East and they see one block which is coming closer and closer together economically, politically, um, socially, uh, advancing, moving forward in, in so many ways, giving so many opportunities to their youth um, that would have been unthinkable a decade ago, even five years ago. And on the other uh, side, uh, they see uh, an access of, of, of repression. Uh, and, and oftentimes, uh, these uh, the tentacles of, of these octopus come back to the head of the octopus in Tehran, and they realize that it is the Islamic Republic, it's, it's their regime, which is causing this chaos. I mean, you look at the countries that are part of this. It's, 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 it's the Houthis in Yemen. It's what's happening in Iraq. It's Assad in Syria, who, by the way, probably wouldn't be in power if it weren't for the Islamic Republic. Um, it's, it's, it's Hezbollah in, in Lebanon. And so they see that and on the other side, uh, on the, you know, the other option, they see what's happening between the UAE and Israel, uh, what's happening between Bahrain and Israel, uh, what's happening between all these countries amongst themselves. And so Iranians, you know, I think beyond an Abraham Accords, they really want a Cyrus Accords. They really want to be part of the future of this region and, and the development and progress that it offers. I mean, Iran is, is, an, is a country of 85 million, highly, highly educated and highly pro-Western people. I think if you were to look at the average country in the Middle East, it's probably now said that their governments are generally pro-Western and their people are, are perhaps not so pro-Western. In Iran, it's the exact opposite, where you have a very anti-Western regime, which came to power on slogans of death to America and others, and a very pro-Western population. And to your point, not only I think they want to be part of that progress, but Iranians look to their history and they're not so distant history. They look just previously to 1979 and see that Iran was able to have excellent relations with Israel and with Arab nations in the Persian Gulf, with the United States and with uh, countries uh, in the Eastern Bloc, uh, with India and with Pakistan. And so I think, you know, they compare what they had and what they have now. Uh, Iranians, you know, how many countries could they travel to without a visa, just using their Iranian passport? And now they're viewed with suspicion and as terrorists. And so they make a very simple calculation and they want to return to an Iran uh, where they are part of the developing world, where they are a, a responsible country that helps uh, the international community move forward, not where they're viewed because of their despotic regime uh, as, as terrorists uh, and, uh, you know, people who are after nuclear bonds that they want peace with the world and independence uh, for their own country i think one last item to touch on here is the and we we brought it up earlier but the this idea that through social media that we are seeing this revolution very clearly in the rest of the world far so than we would ever have seen it in 1979 or 89 or 99 or maybe even 2009 um this helps their cause because the brutality is uncensored now and they have figured out ways to get around uh, electronic uh, clampdowns from the regime and, and, and to get to around those restrictions. And they're showing us not only what they're doing, but what, ha what they're, the price that they're, they're paying. There have been other young women who have been killed over these past few weeks for the simple act of saying, I'm not going to wear this hijab. Um, and we've seen the results of that. We've, we've seen the dead bodies on our, on our phones that 
is an incredibly powerful tool, would you say? It is. And and one thing that, that I want to say to your listeners is the Iranians that we talk to inside the country, whether they're high-level activists, many of whom have now been jailed, we haven't heard from them in weeks, to, to regular folks on the ground, is how much they appreciate, truly, um, the, the way that the international community, whether that's the Iranian diaspora or the, the Iranian-American community that, that say we represent, or non-Iranians, the way that they have come to their aid, uh, they just appreciate it in, in ways that, that I can't even properly describe to you, because it has been um, almost a, um, an insurance policy or a defense mechanism for them. When we've, we've hosted in the past in high-ranking uh, or, or high, well-known Iranian distance from inside the country uh, on panels with, with senior U.S. government officials, and they say, Look, we suffer in your silence. We suffer in the darkness of, of your lack of coverage. Uh, and so to, to the news outlets and to the elected officials and to the, the citizens uh, of our country here in the United States and the world who, who, have, who have been a voice for them, you know, just thank you because, and, and keep going because it matters so much. And when the interest wanes and when the next news cycle comes, we have to push back and, and not allow that to happen because Iranians are still in the streets. We still have young girls and, and young boys. I mean, talking 10 years old, 12 years old, going out with literally empty hands to fight against you know, automatic weapons. And this, the bravery of, of these young people is, is unmatched. And, and I, I haven't seen anything like it. And so we have to continue this. And the other ask that I would make with your permission is, is not only to share information about this on social media, but for, for folks to call their member of Congress. Um, we, we've put a resource on our website, which is just a very simple suggested script. You know, call your member of Congress. Have, have they have they talked about this yet? Have they made a statement? Have they called the State Department and, and asked, you know, what the heck are they still doing in the JCPOA negotiations? Uh, what with the regime that's slaughtering children on the streets? Um, so, you know, the the. Uh, the support um, that that has been given to this revolution thus far by the international community is is really just fantastic, and it's got to it's got to continue. And I hope folks uh, won't forget it in the next news cycle. Cameron Consarinia, you are the policy director of Nufti. Explain once again what Nufti is and your website and how people can find out more, please. Sure. Uh, Nufti is the National Union for Democracy in Iran, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization of Iranian Americans that supports a U.S. foreign policy towards Iran based on democracy and human rights. And they can find out more about us uh, at Nufti Iran on Twitter or our website, nufdiran.org. Thank you for being with us on the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.